Maharani ki jai. Samaveta Bhaktivrinda ki jai. Gaur Premananda. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya. Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Nityanamane. Namaste Saraswati Dede Gauravani Pachani Nivasesis and Nivadi Paskatyade Satane. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yutapadakamalam Sri Guru and Vaishnavam Shashi Rupam Sagraja Tam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Stam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Sri Vishakam Vitam Stra Pantakalpa Chibhyascha Kipasindivyevata Patitanam Pavanavyo Vaishnavavyo Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. March 25th, 2016, in New York, Los Angeles, California. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 1, The Advent of Lord Krishna, Introduction, Text 25. Vishnu Maya Bhagavati, Yaya Samohitam Jagat, Adishta Prabhun Amsena, Karyate Sambhavishyati. Vishnu Maya, the potency of the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vishnu. Bhagavati, as good as Bhagavan and therefore known as Bhagavati. Yaya, by whom? Samohitam, captivated. Jagat, all the worlds, both material and spiritual. Adishta, being ordered. Prabhun. Prabhuna, by the Master, Amshena, with her different potential factors, Karya Arte, for executing business, Sambhavishyati, would also appear. Translation and purport by Shiva Prabhupada. The potency of the Lord, known as Vishnu Maya, who is as good as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, will also appear with Lord Krishna. This potency, acting in different capacities, captivates all the worlds, both material and spiritual. At the request of her master, she will appear with her different potencies in order to execute the work of the Lord. <coughs> Purport. Prashtashaktir vividai vishurite, Shrejasvara Upanishad 6.8. In the Vedas, it is said that the potencies of the Supreme Personality of Godhead are called by different names, such as Yogamaya and Mahamaya. Ultimately, however, the Lord's potency is one, just as, exactly as electric potency is one, although it can act both to cool and to heat. The Lord's potency acts in both the spiritual and material worlds. In the spiritual world, the Lord's potency works as Yogamaya, and in the material world, the same potency works as Mahamaya, exactly as electricity works in both a heater and a cooler. 
In the material world, this potency working as Mahamaya acts upon the conditioned souls to deprive them more and more of devotional service. Pretty bad, huh? Takes away your devotional service more and more. It is said, Yaya Samohito Jivo Atmanam Trigunatmakam. In the material world, the conditioned soul thinks of himself as a product of Triguna, the three modes of material nature. This is the bodily conception of life. Because of associating with the three gunas of the material potency, everyone identifies himself with his body. Someone is thinking he's a Brahmana, someone a Kshatriya, and someone a Vaishya, Shudra. Actually, however, one is neither a Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, nor Shudra. One is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, Ramai Vamsa. But because of being covered by the material energy, Mahamaya, one identifies himself in these different ways. When the conditioned soul becomes liberated, however, he thinks himself an eternal servant of Krishna, Jivara Swarupaya Krishna When he comes to that position, the same potency, acting as Yoga Maya, increasingly helps him become purified and devote his energy to the service of the Lord. So we had this Mahamaya depriving more and more, and Yoga Maya increasingly helps. All right? He had one going increasingly down and one increasingly up. In either case, whether the soul is conditioned or liberated, the Lord is supreme. As stated in Bhagavad Gita 9.10, Maya Dakshena Prakriti Suyate Satcharachara, it is by the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead that the material energy Mahamaya works upon the conditioned soul. Prakriti Kriyamanani Gunai Karmani Sarvasha Ahankaravi Mudhatma Kartaham Iti Manyate. Which reminds us of Prabhupada's prayer that he wrote coming to America. He said, you have put them into illusion and you can get them out of illusion. So here, Prabhupada is saying that it is by the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead that Mahamaya works on the conditioned soul. The translation of that. First we just quoted, the bewildered spirit soul under the influence of the three modes of material nature thinks himself to be the doer of activities which are in actuality carried out by nature. Bhagavad Gita 3.27 Within conditioned life, no one has freedom. But because one is bewildered, being subject to the rule of Mahamaya, one foolishly thinks himself independent. Ahankaravi mudhatma kartaham iti manyate. Ahankaravi, due to false ego, mudhatma, you're a fool. Kartaham, you're the doer. Iti manyate is thinking. So a foolish person thinks, yes, I'm doing this. But when the conditioned soul becomes liberated by executing devotional service, he is given a greater and greater chance, here we have this increasing again, to relish a relationship with his Supreme Personality of Godhead in different transcendental statuses such as Dasiras, Sakiras, Vatsaliras, and Madhuriras. Thus the Lord's potency, Vishnu Maya, has two features, Arvaranika and Unmuka. When the Lord appeared, the potency came with him, and that's the throwing and the covering, and acted in different ways. She acted as yoga maya with Yashoda, Devaki, and other intimate relations of the Lord, and she acted in a different way with Kamsa, Shalva, and other Asuras. By the order of Lord Krishna, his potency yoga maya came with him and exhibited different activities according to the time and circumstances. Karyate Sambhavishyati. Yoga maya acted differently to execute different purposes desired by the Lord. As confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 9.13, Mahatmanas Tumamparta Daivin Prakritim Ashkutaha. The Mahatmas, who fully surrendered to the lotus feet of the Lord, 
are directed by Yogamaya. Whereas the Duratmas, those who are devoid of devotional service, are directed by Mahamaya, who makes them even more devoid of devotional service. Vishnur Maya Bhagavati Yaya Samohitam Jagat Adista Prabhunamsena Karyate Sambhavishati. The potency of the Lord, known as Vishnu Maya, who is as good as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, will also appear with Lord Krishna. This potency, acting in different capacities, captivates all the worlds, both material and spiritual. At the request of her master, she will appear with her different potencies in order to execute the work of the Lord. So Prabhupada would often quote the very first thing he says in this purport, Prasta Shakti Vividaiva that God has potencies. The impersonalists say God has no potencies. He's just this amorphous light and energy. Uh, but God has potencies. How else does he create the world? He must have a creative potency. He must have an artistic potency. He must have a potency of variety. And one who has potencies is a person. Right? We all have potencies, yes? All of us have potencies. We have energies, yes? Do we all have some creative energy? We all have some uh, intelligence energy? We have some loving energy. We have all different kinds of energies. We have angry energies, destructive energies also. And it's interesting that uh, sometimes Srila Prabhupada will say, even though he's quoting this, Prasta Shakti Vivadaiva Shirte, that Lord has multifarious, unlimited energies. I mean, even each of us has so many energies. Isn't it a fact? We call on different energies at different times. We have the energy that allows us to fall asleep at night. That's a particular kind of energy. At different times of day, different purposes, we call on different energies. So although the Lord has unlimited varieties of energy, you can say he has one energy that acts in different ways. You can also say that. And this particular energy, Vishnur Maya. Maya means bewildering. It means that which is not. But it also means mercy. Is always with the Lord. And is practically as good as the Lord, Bhagavati. But how we experience that energy depends on us. And such is even true, again, in our normal human dealings. And how I experience each one of you and your energies depends a lot on how I deal with you. I, I, I didn't read the whole article. I just saw an interesting headline saying, the doctors are more likely to misdiagnose a belligerent patient. So if you come to the doctor and you're nasty and you're mean and you're challenging, it's not intentionally, it's not that like the doctor says, well, this is a nasty patient. I think I'll say they have cancer when they really have you know, pneumonia. But it puts the doctor in a state where they can't diagnose you properly. And if you're dealing nicely with them, they're more likely to diagnose you properly. Or there was a book I read some time ago on how to complain effectively. Right? Because Krishna says one should be silent and satisfied with anything. But I haven't been able to follow that instruction. So I thought, well, if I'm, if I'm going to complain about things, at least I should complain effectively, right? So the, the book was explaining how most people complain to the wrong person. Right? They complain to people who can't even help them with their complaint. And they complain in such a way that someone's not likely to change anything. Right? If you go to someone and you say, why are you doing this wrong? This is terrible. I don't like this. They're not going to take you seriously. In fact, they're just going to shut you out. And any of us who have any managerial responsibilities 
we know very well that when someone comes to us with criticism and complaints, we don't even hear them. Now, you see parents with young children, they don't hear the children whining. Everyone else is disturbed, and the parents aren't even aware. But if you come to a person and say, you know, I, I'm really doing a great job managing this place, and I, you know, I'm really happy with this thing and this thing and this thing, and I know it's not your fault, but, but we're having a problem here with something, right? What do you think you could do about it? Then they're much more likely to respond to you favorably. So how a person deals with us, how we perceive their energies, has a lot to do with how we deal with them. Isn't it? Right? And I've met people, including members of the Hare Krishna movement, that I thought, oh, I don't want anything to do with this person. I just stay away from this person. And not always, but often, if I deal with them differently, right? I can think of someone I really, I just, every time I was around, one time I even walked all the way the other way around the temple to avoid meeting this person. And then I found out that that person had a mutual friend of mine. And I thought, well, if this friend of mine likes this devotee, then maybe there's something nice in them. So I started looking for the nice things. And after a while, we became very good friends. Right? Same person, same energy, but as I changed my dealings with the person, I experienced that person differently. Well, Krishna being a person with multifarious energies, my dear friends, is very much like that. How we perceive Krishna depends on us. Of course, Krishna demonstrated this fact in... Where did he demonstrate this fact? Hmm? Yes? Yes, when he entered Mathura, especially when he came into the wrestling arena. So he comes in the wrestling arena... And his parents were there. At least uh, Vasudeva and Devaki were there, Nandamaraj, although Prabhupada also says that Mother Yasoda was there. So the parents, the elders of the dynasty, they're saying, oh, this is our, our little boy. And there are these big wrestlers. What's, what's going to happen? You know, he's, he's so delicate. And some of the Yadus thought, oh, this is the best of our dynasty. And the young women there, they said, oh, he's Cupid. And the wrestlers thought he's death. Right? The yogis just thought he's a super soul. The materialists couldn't understand him at all. They just simply, there's some incomprehensible personality. And as Prabhupada talks about in the purport, even on the higher platforms, spiritually, some people relate to Krishna as Prabhupada's listing here, Dasyuras, Sakyuras, Vatsalyuras, Madhuryuras. So Prabhupada explains in the Nectar Devotion how Krishna's servants like Patrak if he's around Krishna when Krishna's joking with his friends and Patrak starts to also laugh, immediately he stops. No, 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 I, I, I'm not intimate with Krishna. Krishna's just my master. I don't want to see him like that. Mother Yasoda always sees Krishna as her little boy. I was just reading in Gopal Champu by Jiva Goswami how when Krishna returns to Vrindavan after killing Dantavakra, that Mother Yasoda puts him next to her as if he was just six years old. Externally, he had grandchildren, but she's seeing him like that. Krishna is responding with us according to us. He's very responsive. And he's responding through his energy. So here, this energy, Vishnu Maya, can look as Mahamaya or as Vishnu Maya, as uh, Yoga Maya. So as Mahamaya, 
if we're dealing with Krishna in an antagonistic way, I mean, I, I just, it's fascinating here where Prabhupada says the Duratmas who are devoid of devotional service. Devoid, what an interesting idea, right? Devoid. It's not there. Of course, it's always there, but they don't want it there. It said the demons are envious of themselves. We're envious of ourselves. How can we be envious of ourselves? Because we are Jivara Swarupaya Krishna Nityadasa, as Prabhupada says here in this purport, and we might hate that. I mean, I, I remember, I remember when my mother, the first few years after I joined the movement, was very antagonistic. And one of the things she said to me is, I don't like all this emphasis you have on being the servant of God. She says, I, I don't want to see myself as being anyone's servant. And she always had servants, which is perhaps not quite so common in America, very common in a place like India. And, and I remember one time, as an adult, visiting my mother and wanting to invite the servant to eat dinner with us. And she said, don't ever do that. She said, you'll destroy your servant. You'll ruin them completely. They have to eat in another room at another time. You never invite them to the same table. So she said, I don't want to be the servant of God. She said, I don't even like it to say we're the child of God. It seems, you know, demeaning. She said, so when I go, you know, to pray, whenever there's the prayers in our prayer book that say we are the children of God, we are the servant of God, I don't say those prayers. Now, at the end of her life, she became more Krishna conscious, but anyway. There's this mood that we hate ourselves, we hate that we're a servant. How many parents will say to their children, I want you to grow up and be a servant? If if the kid comes to the parents and says, you know, I just want to be like a domestic worker. I want to clean hotels, you know. Especially the Indian families, could you imagine? If your kid came to you and said, you know, I I want to be the busboy in a restaurant and clean the pots, that's what I really enjoy doing. No, no, you must become a doctor. (laughs) So we hate this idea of being a servant. And those who really like, I don't want to be a servant. (laughs) So they're dealing, Krishna's saying, well, sorry, that's our eternal relationship. That's who we are. And when we hear that, is there something in us that says, no! I, I remember I was, uh, I was in Delhi at our Govinda's restaurant with one devotee who commented to me, so Krishna's the transcendental autocrat. And everything in me screamed, I don't like autocrats! Especially brought up in America, right? The democracy and everybody's equal. From my childhood, I'm trained. We don't like autocrats. And it was so interesting. That, yes, Krishna's a transcendental autocrat. And I could, the rebellion in me just like, no autocrat. I'm the only autocrat. And I was so amazed. I thought I'd been chanting Hare Krishna all these years and I still don't want to surrender to Krishna, you know. When I first came in the door, I thought I was just a millimeter away from being a pure devotee. You know, a month or two. (laughs) But this feeling in the materialist, I don't want to surrender to anyone. Prabhupada quotes twice here. I'm the doer. I'm the boss. I'm autonomous. Me, 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 me. 
I'll only surrender to somebody else externally, a little bit, politically, manipulatively. I'll pretend to surrender so I can manipulate them to doing what I want. This is what Diti did with Kasyapa. Oh, my dear husband, why would you like? I am here to serve you. I am your most obedient wife. And he thought, wow, my wife is so nice. Oh, my dear wife, you are my obedient servant. You love me. I'll give you anything. Okay. I'd like the kid you had by your other wife, my sister, to be killed. <gasps> said, you look like a lotus flower, but you were a razor blade. They always have those rumors at Halloween, people sticking razor blades in the candy. That's what he said to her. He said, you're a hidden razor blade. So generally, when we act like a servant, it's just to get what we want. We're still trying to be the master. And all the self-help books and the self-help courses and all of the relations, they're all about this. Every one of them. Some in Tamagun, some in Rajagun, some in Sattvagun. Even in Sattvagun, how to manipulate the material energy to get what you want. And most religious people, they're trying to do this with God. Oh, please, give me the right parking space. You know, give me a good grade on my exam. I was in London when one girl put an envelope on the altar. She's praying and praying. I said, well, what is this? She says, that's my exam results. I said, so late now. <laughs> He's going to like mystically change the numbers inside the envelope. You know? But this is our mood. And when we have this mood, we can't really get to know Krishna because that's, that's not our relationship with Krishna. It's false. And therefore, he, he's covered. We don't, we don't see him. Although he's everywhere. He's in our heart. He's everywhere. He's in every atom. He's in every atom. But we can't perceive him. We see the deity and we see marble, wood. I chant the holy name, it's just some alphabet. Because we, we, are, we don't have a real mood of service, of surrender. And what's really sad, kind but sad, is when we're devoid of devotional service, then Krishna says, all right, go under Mahamaya. So that's very kind because it's what we want. It would be very difficult, I would say impossible, almost impossible, to maintain this mood that I am the doer and I am the center and I am the most important person if we were aware of Krishna all the time. Right? I mean, it's hard to steal something from somebody when they're right in the room, right? No hard. I mean, if you have a gun or something. But otherwise, it's a little awkward. You usually wait till somebody leaves the room. Right? We, we wait until all the devotees are chanting Japa in the temple room and then we go steal the Mahaprasada. Right? It's hard to do it right in front of them. If we're going to say nasty things about people, usually if we're civilized, we do it behind their back, right? And we just say it to their face. If they're standing right in front of you, it's kind of hard to look at them and say, you know, I think you're really just a selfish, degraded person. But behind their back, we'll say, you know, that person is. So if Krishna's right in front of us, it's It's hard. He's so great, we're so small. He's so wonderful, we're so fallen. We become very aware. 
He's truth. Satchamparam, we become overwhelmed with truth. It's, it's really, really difficult. He says, you know, if you don't want this relationship, if you want to pretend that you're God, which from a logical perspective is completely and totally absurd. You know, if I were God, my hair wouldn't be turning gray. I don't like it gray. You know, I wouldn't be getting wrinkles. I wouldn't need to wear glasses. If I were God, I'd have a completely different life, frankly. Now, it's absurd to say that I'm God. And I'm so tiny. So tiny. You know, you're up in the airplane. You don't even see the people till you land. We're like little ants on one little planet in this vast universe. And even in my own family, nobody thinks I'm the center. Try it. Go to a family member and say, let me talk to you for two hours about everything I did today and see if they'll listen. You know, so it's absurd. It's ridiculous. So if we want to have this mood, Krishna says, okay, Mahamaya. Therefore, Prabhupada says, by the order of the Supreme Lord. But it's not whimsical. It's not like God is saying, well, I don't know. That jiva, I don't like them. Mahamaya. That jiva, I like them. Yoga maya. It's not like that. Or it's not like, you know, okay, I'm going to manifest all these jivas as perfected beings, and I'm going to manifest all these jivas as fallen beings. And there are many people who propound such a philosophy. That's not a very nice God. Why would you want to surrender to a God who just said, you know, there you go, Mahamaya? No, it's us. And then what happens when we're in Maya Ma, and this gets sadder and sadder and sadder. You know, in the material world, this policy working as Mahamaya acts upon the conditioned souls to deprive them more and more. So when we have this mood of rebellion, when we have this hatred of ourselves, then Mahamaya covers us so we can't see Krishna. We can't understand that he's the doer. We can't understand how wonderful he is. And we think that we have this fully exaggerated view of ourselves, of our importance, of our power. And the more we get into it, the more and more and more covered we get. You know, I was was trying to tape a sign a few days ago and I I pulled my tape and just a little piece of the tape came off. You ever have that happen? The whole thing doesn't come off just a little bit and the more I pulled it, the, the more messed up it became. And pretty soon I had layers of partial tape there and I had to like kind of cut it and deal with it. And you know, you try to untangle a knot and then it gets more and more and more and more untangled. So Mahamaya is like that and Krishna compares it to a banyan tree. You know, if you've ever seen a real banyan tree, you can't figure out where's the beginning of it. Where's the original trunk? How do I cut down this tree? It's so complex. So people try to get out of Mahamaya, say, through therapy. And I mean, therapy is useful for some things, but it's not going to get you out of Mahamaya. You know, I may help you if you're obsessive, compulsive, or depressed or something like that. But it's not going to get you out of Mahamaya because it's too complicated. And you take everything back, you know, my mother said this when I was two, and that's why I have this problem. And then you go back further to your past lives, and, you know, and I did this three lifetimes ago in Nigeria, and that's why I have this problem. 
But it's all complicated. And as soon as you get rid of one karmic problem, you create another in the process of getting rid of the first one. You know, we're trying to get doesn't work. And you just get deeper and deeper and deeper until you can even take birth as an animal or a bug or a plant. So that one, you know, an insect, so that one's consciousness is fully and completely covered. Oh, but the same energy, the same energy, exactly the same energy will deal with us very, very differently if we want to serve the Lord. Now, we shouldn't be afraid of serving the Lord because, frankly, the Lord has been serving us since the beginning of time. It's a mutual relationship of service. We're afraid of this service thing because in the material world, if I serve somebody, generally, they more or less exploit me. Generally, with some rare exceptions. You know, you serve your country, you serve your company, you serve your family, you serve your body. And you don't get reciprocation, isn't it? And we feel this frustration. I've given this, and 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 and what do I get? And what I give isn't even noticed. Isn't it a fact? Right? Especially people you serve all the time, they just take you for granted. Of course she cooks the meals every day. She's my wife. She's supposed to. He doesn't even notice it anymore. Of course this person runs the treasury. That's their job. There's just money here for us to spend. You know, you just, you just don't notice it anymore. What to speak of being grateful. And often the only thing other people notice is our mistakes, isn't it? So we think Krishna's going to be like that. We're going to serve and serve and serve and serve and serve and serve and serve. And, serve. and he's just going to take and take and take. He's a supreme enjoyer. We get nothing. And this kind of mentality shows up when devotees say things like, if you enjoy your service, Prabhu, that's Maya. <laughs> now, the real test of your surrender is when you're miserable in your service. What kind of a God do they think we're serving? <clears throat> then they see Krishna as just a taker. Hmm? But Krishna is serving us even as conditioned souls, even as rebellious souls. Krishna is serving us. Krishna is giving us whatever we want. I mean, we're pretty foolish about what we want. That's another topic. But he's giving us whatever we want. You know, if you want to be so nasty and so envious that if someone just touches you, they suffer, then you can become poison ivy. You touched me. Three weeks of pain. (laughs) Whatever we want, anything we want. Or you want to be a great ruler of the universe and you want to have such power that you can say, planet, appear. You can get that. I mean, even in our ordinary life, if Krishna wasn't giving us air and, and sunlight and food and water and so many things, and he's giving us so many extras, I mean, we don't need flowers. We don't need 40 kinds of mangoes and 40 kinds of bananas. And I've just been in Hawaii, and you know, in Hawaii there's not just the, what is it, the Cavendish banana, which is now being threatened by some kind of bug. But there in Hawaii, you know, we get apple bananas and we get Williams bananas and all different kinds of bananas. We don't need that many kinds of bananas. We don't even need bananas. So many different kinds of fruit and so many different kinds of kinds of fruit. 
and all the amazing things we can do with our intelligence. All this Krishna is giving us our intelligence, our ability, our digestive power, our sensory strength, everything. He's just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And he's giving even when we're nasty and rebellious and critical. I wouldn't do that, would you? Would you give all that to someone who was nasty and envious and critical of you and wanted to destroy you and take over your position? I wouldn't give him anything. And Krishna's giving us everything. He's a giver. In fact, who's the bigger servant? Krishna of us or we of him? Krishna of us. I mean, if I give Krishna everything and he gives me everything, who gets more? I don't have much to give. And whatever I have to give, he gave me first. I used to, you know, buy my parents a present on their birthday. But where did I get the money? They gave it to me. They gave me the money. They took me to the store. (laughs) What was I giving? Just my affection. I'm going to serve Krishna as a, you know, and as we wake up in devotional service, we should have some feeling. I want to be Krishna's servant, Krishna's friend, Krishna's parent, Krishna's lover. But what am I giving? I'm just giving my intention and my will to give a little, 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 tiny, tiny reciprocation for everything the Lord is giving me. And not only does Krishna's energy act differently with us, but Krishna himself acts differently with us. As Lord Kapiludev says, he takes whatever form we want to see him in. What a giver is that? I mean, we want that in this world. You know, the wife wants her husband, the husband wants his wife to be what they want. We want the person we marry, the children we have, to become our idealized form. And of course they don't. But Krishna does. Krishna becomes exactly the kind of child you want to have or exactly the kind of lover you want to have. He's not the same as a child even with Rohini and with Yasoda, with Deva. He's not the same lover with Lalita as he is with Vishaka. He's not the same friend with Subal as he is with Sridham. He's relating to everyone exactly perfectly and this mood of serving Krishna is just, what service can I offer to him? It's just a little attempt that's always useless. And when one has that view of of gratitude and appreciation and love and affection, First of all, one feels relief because we're not the center of the universe. So it's a, it's a big relief to know, oh, I'm not the doer. I'm not the most important. It's a big burden trying to be the most important, isn't it? Especially when you're not. And we're going to talk about this tonight with Manashiksha, all of the masks we wear, all of the pretense. But you can give all that up, you know? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just be authentic? <laughs> You didn't have to wear any more masks. You didn't have to pretend you could just be what you are. And, and being what we are, somebody would absolutely, totally be infatuated with us for what we are. So that's our real relationship with Krishna. And in that relationship, yoga maya keeps increasing and increasing. Instead of being increasingly covered, we become increasingly uncovered. We become increasingly real. We become increasingly authentic. We start realizing, oh, I like Krishna as a friend, or I like Krishna as a master, or I like Krishna as a child. That starts becoming manifest in our heart, as Prabhupada says here in this purport. 
And all the different varieties of rasa, Prabhupada mentions the five here, but even all the different, the secondary rasas, the sanchari bhavs, all the different spiritual emotions start manifesting in us. And yoga maya covers us increasingly to such an extent that we lose awareness of the grandeur of God even. This thing we're so afraid of that that I'm so small I'll have to surrender to this big imposing God. As we surrender, that goes away. And the cowherd boys say, you didn't lift up Govardhan Hill, it was the mantras chanted, you know, by Madhu Mangal. (laughs) And the gopis say, you can't see Radharani today. You you know, you lied to her about when you were going to show up. Get out of here. And and that, that very intimate mood. The residents of Vrindavan, they're not feeling like that. Oh, I'm just this little tiny peon of this humongous God. <laughs> so this is our choice. Prabhupada says that Krishna is giving us his choice in perceptibly 24 hours. This is our choice. Wherever there's Krishna, there's uh, Vishnu and Maya. Wherever there's Krishna, his potency is there. Wherever Rukmini is there. Always there. But how do we perceive them? How do we feel their, their response to us? And it's not black or white. It's, it's increasing or decreasing. Are we somewhat in light, somewhat in darkness? Where do we go? This is up to us. This is a choice we make all the time. Do I want to be who I am? A very small little servant who is so dear to the Lord that he's willing to come here personally and pick me up and give me whatever I want? Or do I want to pretend that I'm some big, important, powerful being that everyone else is meant to serve and have to put on all kinds of pretenses and have so many fears that my pretenses are going to be discovered, that I'm going to be revealed, and so many disappointments when I'm not able to control the world the way that I want? What do I want to choose? So questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions? Yes, Neil. How long can I go with questions? As long as there are questioners want to ask you questions. Well, but generally, what's your preference? Five, ten minutes like that? Those who have to go will go. Okay. Those who want to stay and ask questions. Okay. Yes. Krishna, Hi, Krishna. Thank you very much for the wonderful class. You were mentioning how um, helping those that are and caring about those that need compassion for those that are all the time ungrateful and um, blessed. I, I wanted to just share with you that um, this Mamaji has brought my grade level up when I was growing up. In two years, six grade levels. And she sat with us every single day for two years, chanting Japa and helping us chant. And I did nothing but give her trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Mean things and all that. So it gives me a basic understanding of what compassion and and love is. Thank you for being so compassionate and so kind and loving that even though I'm being poisoned, I think myself. 
I'm not even going to respond to that. <laughs> Except just to say, it's Prabhupada, you know, that's it's not me, nothing to do with me, but thank you. Prabhupada's very kind. Anybody else question, comment? Yes. There you go, here, right here. From... It's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's the, uh, oh, okay. Is what? A quote from Yogi Bhajan. Okay. Um, and he worked confidentially as a public private public in the 60s and 70s. But he said, my teacher um, had the blessing to work hand in hand with him in the 60s. Okay. Bhajan. One thing he said to Shri was um, to be consciously conscious of your consciousness. To be consciously conscious of your consciousness? Yes. Okay. And it's um, something that stuck with me because she's Interesting. I mean, it, it is it is possible that by chanting Hare Krishna that you'll wake up Kundalini and so forth. But chanting Hare Krishna really at its essence is a conversation with the Lord. And it, it's quite interesting because I know of some members of the Hare Krishna movement who have uh, awakened Kundalini. And some of them have talked to me at, at length about what are the differences between bhakti yoga and Kundalini Yoga. And Kundalini is not something that Srila Prabhupada refers to very often, just a very, very, very few times. Yeah, he, he refers a little bit more often to uh, Sat Chakra Yoga than he does to Kundalini Yoga. Occasionally he mentions Kundalini. And uh, especially this one devotee I know who had a spontaneous Kundalini awakening as, as a young man. He said, for most people, awakening their Kundalini is really a problem in this age. He says it's kind of like giving a chainsaw to a three-year-old and all it does is cause trouble for them. And we, we meet a lot of people who, you know, they went to some yogi who artificially awakened their kundalini at a premature stage, and there's, uh, there's books out there about people having physical and even mental problems from, you know, dealing with energies that they're not capable of dealing with. But the biggest difference between what's called dhyana yoga, which does involve moving the prana through the pingala and nadi and the and the chakras and dealing with the kundalini and bhakti yoga is that jnana yoga is primarily mechanical. So that in jnana yoga what you're doing is you're manipulating the subtle energies of our body. We have two bodies. We have a gross and subtle body. We're manipulating the energies of the subtle body and the gross body through asanas. So by putting the gross body in a certain position and by moving the life airs in a particular way you artificially, mechanically can enter into a state of samadhi. 
And by the way, anybody, anybody could learn how to enter a very light state of samadhi or trance in about a half an hour. It's not that difficult. Jai Doi and I had a long discussion about this decades ago, how a lot of what's uh, hypnotism is really like a light yogic trance. And the mechanical samadhi is one where, you know, you have first the prachidhara where you're, you're cutting out the, the senses, which is why we have stories in the Bhagavatam like Shamakarishi and Lord Shiva where they didn't hear or see what was going on around them. You know, Mars Prickett comes in and says, Water! And Shamakrishi doesn't hear him because he's in this trance as a mystic yogi. So they don't hear anything and the, the mind is stilled. The mind isn't accepting, rejecting, accepting. It's quiet. And the intelligence is focused. And mechanically, the person focuses the intelligence on Vishnu. Now, Kundalini is interesting because Kundalini is for most people Mahamaya, not Yoga Maya. And Kundalini as Mahamaya, as Shakti, is trying to join with Shiva in the brain. And most people who awaken Kundalini simply become very, very, very entrenched with the Hankaravi Makarta Hamiti Manyate. They simply awaken all kinds of powers by uniting Shiva and Shakti. And, and they, Prabhupada says the yogis want to control their senses, and often they get more in illusion by that practice of yoga. But the original practice of yoga was to make it so that your ability to fix your mind on Vishnu and not be distracted by anything else was heightened. The problem is that it's mechanical. Now, the the body and mind of a human being is designed with that mechanical ability there. So if you're qualified to to access that mechanical ability, you can meditate in that way. Most people right now in Kali Yuga are not even qualified to focus their mind for about three seconds. I mean, really, the advertisement stuff, they're changing every two or three seconds because people can't fix their mind at all. But if you're qualified to do that, it's still mechanical. So in order to do that, you have to have tremendous strength of intelligence. Kind of like we we say the uh, warriors in previous times could fight with 10,000 elephants. That wasn't uh, hyperbole. Even 100 years ago, there was one guy, Clyde, somebody who could hold four um, draft horses. So you had to have intelligence that strong that your mind is going and the intelligence just stops it. And through the mechanics of the breathing and the mechanics of the posture of the body, you're by force of will power fixing your mind artificially on the Lord with the idea that if you keep fixing your mind artificially and mechanically on the Lord, eventually you might like him. And eventually you might want to serve him. But while you're working on that, because it's mechanical and it's willpower, you can be distracted very easily. Vishwamitra was distracted by hearing some jewelry. He heard some jewelry making noise and he thought, oh, must be a woman. And it was all over for him, at least for quite some time. Now, our bhakti yoga entering into samadhi through chanting the maha mantra and deity worship and all the things that we do is very different. We're aiming for the goal of samadhi, but very differently. We're aiming for the goal of samadhi in bhakti the same way you forget about everything when you're really absorbed in something you're attached to, either negative or positive. So if you're really worried about something, you know, you've got some bill coming due and you don't have enough money in the bank, and they're going to repossess your car, and you're really worried, and you're in so much anxiety about your car, you don't hear what anybody says. 
You don't see anything. You don't notice anything because you're so focused on this anxiety. The same way if, if you're in love. You know, I remember before my daughter met her husband when they were just corresponding. There were like three weeks where she hardly ate. She hardly slept. She was working in our Gurukul and she said, you know, she's, she's teaching a mathematics class, but all she could think about was, you know, this young man she was going to meet. That's the kind of samadhi we're looking for in bhakti. We're looking for the samadhi that we have so much emotion in connection with Krishna that Krishna fills our consciousness and fills our awareness to the point that everything else recedes. And therefore, Srila Prabhupada says in his purport to Bhagavad Gita 12, too, that you're at the market buying things for Krishna and you're in samadhi. What does that mean? Does that mean you're in the mechanical samadhi where you can't drive to the market because, you know, you, you lost awareness of the road? But no, you're, you're so full of love for Krishna that you have this one-pointed fixation. And it's not at all necessary for the devotee in that loving samadhi to awaken their kundalini. In fact, because kundalini deals much more with, with the Mahamaya and Shiva, it's a little dangerous. Now, of course, Mahamaya is also Vaishnavi. Uh, she can also appear as Yogamaya, and Shiva is also the greatest Vaishnava. So that could be there, but it's not necessary for the devotee. And it may not even happen. And In fact, it's a kind of dangerous energy, and it's better for most of us if it doesn't happen. And we don't need it. We don't need it. We don't need to do anything mechanical. I mean, if, so, if you're already expert in some mechanical thing of yoga, and naturally you go and, and that's fine. But we don't need that. We don't even need, we don't even need the piety of karma yoga. You can go right from being a sinful criminal to bhakti without having an intermediate stage of piety as in karma yoga. You can go right to bhakti without an intermediate stage of philosophy. And you can go right to bhakti without an intermediate stage of the mechanical kind of janya. You don't need those things. If you're pious, it helps. If you're a philosopher, it helps. If you know these, you know how to do your pranayama. Sure, use it in Krishna service. But you don't need it, and you're automatically, by chanting Hare Krishna, going to achieve everything you would have achieved in that other way, but not necessarily in the same. I hope that's... Yeah, that's perfect. That was beautiful. Because in my mind, because I think Bhakti is a serious thing, unfortunately, fortunately, I have an Asperger. So in my mind, now I'm practicing, I like to say that a lot of it's Kundalini Bhakti. It's a lot more well, sure. Then that's, but we call that we call that yoga mishra bhakti. So you can have what's called uttam bhakti. You can have karma mishra bhakti, jnana mishra bhakti, or yoga mishra bhakti. So yoga mishra bhakti is a bona fide process. Generally, our acharyas say it's a little bit slower and more difficult. If you're very qualified in yoga, that might not be true for you. But for generally, for most people, we advise uttam bhakti rather than yoga mishra bhakti. But it is a bona fide path of bhakti. So thank you very much. Shiva Prabhupada Ki Jai. Shiva Bhagavatam Ki Jai.